Good afternoon, everybody. I want to start this uh, talk on uh, jhana. We, this morning, talk a little bit about uh, the preparatory practice for gaining jhana. In the Buddha's teaching, like in anything else, there are three things to remember. One is a theoretical understanding of anything. The theories, uh, as you all know, are formulated from exper- through experiments. They don't uh, automatically appear in our mind. People uh, uh, experiment various things for certain period of time and then uh, come to a certain conclusion and then formulated it into a theory. Uh, that is exactly what the Buddha did. He started practicing jhana when he was a little child. As you all know, when uh, he was taken to climbing festival uh, and kept under nurse's care, and then uh, they all participated in the climbing festival, this little child, without knowing anything about jhana, because of his previous samsaric uh, training, conditioning, practice, uh, he immediately sat in cross-legged position and uh, practiced jhana, practiced meditation, attained jhana. But he did not know what he was doing. Nobody else knew, even his father, nurses, attendants, even they did not know what he was doing. So later on, whenever he had uh, time as a boy, teenager, adult, he spent a lot of time in meditating and attain jhanas and gain a great depth of experience of jhana. But still he did not formulate it. Then he, uh, as you know, uh, went to various teachers, including the most famous at that time, two teachers called Alara Kalama and Uddaka Ramaputta, and they taught him highest jhanic uh, method. And uh, still he was not very clear about jhanas, but he, through all these uh, uh, experiments, practices, finally, on the day he attained full enlightenment, that night, he sat under the Bodhi tree and uh, thought uh, 
what kind of um, meditation I should practice and what should be my subject of meditation. So <clears throat> he remembered his uh, childhood experience. We actually don't know what his teachers, Alarakarama and Uddhakaramaputta, taught, uh, used, what subject they used to teach him attaining the highest level of concentration called uh, nothingness and neither perception and no non-perception states. We don't know there is no record of uh, any particular subject that they used for teaching him to attain these levels. We assume they must have used uh, the breath. Anyway, when he sat under the Bodhi tree, he began to wonder if they had taught him, uh, they had used uh, the breath as a subject of meditation, he would have used it without any question when he sat under the Bodhi tree. But he himself uh, was not sure because they did not teach him to use the... It's assumed, we assume that he, they did not teach him to use the breath. So, however, he recollected his own experience as a child that he used the breath. Then he saw the entire attainment of full enlightenment is under his nose. <laughs> <laughs> so he started using his own breath. And after attaining and using it, he attained full enlightenment. We will, if we have time, we can discuss these things in details. How he used the breath for gaining jhana, and attaining enlightenment. So he knew that this is the secret. Secret is right under our nose, in our breath. <laughs> so he gave many sermons on this. One is called Anapana Satisutta, mindfulness of breathing. Another is Mahasatipatthana Sutta, which also begins with mindfulness of breathing. And then he gave uh, Kāyagata Satisutta, which also begins with mindfulness of breathing. Girimananda Sutta, where he mentioned mindfulness of breathing. And so forth. In many places he, he used mindfulness of breathing. Not only for mindfulness, but even for gaining concentration, he used this. Uh, so, then after attaining enlightenment, he formulated jhana formula from his own experience without any particular teacher, from his own experience, he formulated. And that is the theory. He tested this theory 
many, many times, and every time he tested, he came to the same conclusion. <laughs> that is how the theory became a reality. And that is what is called a theoretical understanding, number one. Second is putting the theory into practice. Thirdly, gaining the results from the practice. So that is why jhana has become an integral part of Buddhist meditation. However, for long time, especially in the West, since uh, meditation uh, began to take root in the West, uh, people, teachers, instructors, students uh, just ignored jhana practice. We all practice mindfulness. Even this place is called Insight Meditation Society <laughs> because we practice insight and uh, vipassana. Uh, Mindfulness. Mindfulness, vipassana, insight are the most popular terms we use for meditation, assuming that's all, nothing else. And therefore, jhana has been, you know, swept aside, swept under the rug, just ignored, and people did not pay much attention to jhanas. However, fortunately, recently, I have been talking about jhanas for all my teachings. And recently, of course, some other teachers started teaching jhanas, and that's a very good thing. I'm very glad. Uh, later is better than never. <laughs> so, I want to bring out some uh, misunderstanding. Just like anything else, jhana also is uh, conditioning. We have to condition, we have all kinds of conditioning, hair conditioning, <laughs> body conditioning, uh, skin conditioning, and air conditioning, uh, food conditioning, and all kinds of conditions. And eventually these conditions becomes habits. So when you start uh, conditioning your hair, that has become a habit. You have to do it. Without that, you cannot go out, out of your house. <laughs> you have to air condition your room. Without that, you cannot stay in the room. <laughs> Similarly, when you practice uh, jhana conditioning, <laughs> you cannot practice meditation without jhana. <laughs> so, uh, we have to be very systematic uh, in our conditioning. And therefore we have to uh, 
learn some misunderstanding of jhana so that we will not be led into wrong conclusions sometimes people think uh, uh, any absorption uh, any kind of any state of absorption is jhana and it is very common <laughs> misunderstanding when you sit to meditate uh room is air conditioned <laughs> cushions are very comfortable uh sound proof uh in winter it is very warm very comfortably warm in summer it is comfortably cool you have many cushions buckwheat and uh, kepok and uh, two three cushions you put all of them around you one under your knees <laughs> one two you sit on three four to lean against and so forth <laughs> you sit very very comfortable <laughs> and uh, close your eyes sometimes we out of one we ring the bell you you say open your eyes and say i was in the fourth jhana <laughs> very easy and quick uh, because the the assumption is that as soon as you close your eyes you cannot hear anything you cannot feel anything you are completely absorbed in your impediment sleepiness and that is absorption and you come out of it and say you had that in jhanas you know uh, this is a big misunderstanding some people think as soon as you attain the jhana any jhana especially anything even the first you don't hear anything you don't feel anything you don't know anything you just get lost <laughs> jhana that is one big misunderstanding when i explain later on uh, the details of jhana you will see jhana is not like that it has uh, many qualities <coughs> when i explain the procedure or the steps of attaining jhana you will see uh, how many things are involved in gaining jhana this is why we why it is necessary for us to know the theory of jhana in order to avoid this kind of misunderstanding so you know your stuff you know your uh, subject to a theory so that whenever you want to refer here is the reference so for that we have to know something about the theory some theory of uh, real jhana and also <coughs> uh 
another misunderstanding is jhana is purely monastic practice monks and nuns practice jhana they have to observe brahmacharya sel they have to live a celibate life in order to gain jhana when i was um, admin- administering the eight uh, precepts last night i it is it uh, struck me to say a couple of words about the the third precept in your uh eight precept third precept is to abstain from uh in celibacy you can uh, read in this long sheet of paper that is uh, i undertake the precept of refraining from any kind of uh, intentional sexual activity that is what we call celibacy since this is a jhana retreat probably you might assume that is a requirement who can do that only monastic can do that because they have made a commitment to live a celibate life and therefore based on this precept sometimes there can be a misunderstanding that this precept is absolutely necessary for attaining jhana as a condition jhana conditioning <laughs> like other conditioning friends <coughs> uh, that's a total misunderstanding one does not this we observe these precepts to have a, a retreat together men women and so forth together uh, to calm our mind to refrain from uh, agitation excitement and rivalry jealousy and all these other things entailed this kind of uh, behavior because these things uh, sexual activities uh, entail all other problems needless to mention how many are there <laughs> and therefore when we whenever we want to practice meditation and spend some time together in a retreat we observe that precept but when we want to practice when we want to gain jhana there are various things to do <coughs> uh as a lay person uh of course the when the person wants to gain jhana during that period a day two days a week and so forth whatever length of time the person wants to spend in practicing meditation during that time the person must uh, uh, stay away with lot of un- activities which uh, excite the person to calm the mind calm the body relax the mind and body 
attaining jnana also is not something permanent. <coughs> I will explain them later. We can lose it and we can regain it. We attain it for a certain period of time and we lose it. And then we attain it again. And therefore, any lay person can practice and attain jhanas. So, to assume that it is an absolutely necessary condition uh, is incorrect. <coughs> and also, sometimes people tend to believe that jhana is intense, intense. Uh, Instant, uh, instantaneous, in a split second, one can attain jhana. Of course, one can, provided the person has attained it many times before and mastered the jhanas. That also I will explain later on how to master jhanas uh, without having mastered the jhanas, one cannot attain it instantaneously. Uh, once you gain jhana and master it, you remember how you attained it, and then it is possible for you to attain it again and again instantaneously, very quickly. So some people are afraid of closing their eyes because they attain jhanas, they think. Of course, that will happen when you are very tired and didn't have good night's sleep. <laughs> you can attain that kind of jhanas, <laughs> but uh, not real jhanas. <clears throat> and sometimes people think jhana has nothing to do with uh, temperaments. Uh, friends, jhana has everything to do with temperaments. Uh, just like uh, uh, every person is not a subject of hypnotism, you cannot hypnotize everybody. Because their concentration is not that good. All depends on the person's temperament. Some people are very good gaining concentration. Some people cannot. The fact that somebody cannot gain concentration does not mean that jhana is something impossible. It is possible only when we have the necessary and sufficient conditions. As I said, everything is conditioning. We have to condition our mind in a very specific way, in a guided way manner, with correct instructions, we have to condition ourselves in order to attain jhana. Even then, if some people's mentality, their temperament does not suit gaining concentration, they cannot gain. Of course, the alternative is also possible. Alternative is uh, practicing 
vipassana uh, i also want to point out uh, the the these two aspects of uh, meditation uh, jhana meditation and uh, vipassana meditation uh, Jhana, uh, somebody who cannot attain uh, jhana can easily practice uh, vipassana. Uh, sometimes people tend to think that uh, jhana plays no part in vipassana meditation. Uh, that is why many people uh, talking only about vipassana uh, without uh, talking on jhana or explaining jhana this is another big misunderstanding <coughs> uh, in future talks i show you the relationship between these two Uh, for now, I can give you a uh, very basic uh, connection between jhana and mindfulness practice. When you, uh, jhana of course primarily uh, is a way of, uh, uh, is a, uh, the very high quality of uh, concentration. The high quality of concentrated state is called jhana. <coughs> When you try to gain that high quality concentration, it does not happen automatically very quickly. You have to work very hard. <coughs> you have to overcome certain impediments what we call hindrances. We talk about them later on. Probably you might have heard uh, talk on hindrances hundreds of times already because every Vipassana meditation teacher must talk about hindrances and they are sort of mandatory talk. <laughs> Therefore, every meditator knows them by heart all the hindrances. <coughs> But when we talk about jhana, hindrances are absolutely necessary subjects to talk. When you try to overcome hindrances, you cannot overcome them without mindfulness. You have to overcome hindrances to gain jhanas, but you cannot overcome them only through concentration practice. You must practice vipassana. So, you cannot, in other words, practice jhana without vipassana. <coughs> without jhana, your vipassana is not complete. I think in my uh, in my earlier retreats in this place, I mentioned if somebody 
just uh, ignored the, the last aspect of the Noble Eightfold Path called Samma Samadhi, right concentration, and emphasized only seven, <coughs> ending in uh, uh, right mindfulness, and keep simply emphasizing only right mindfulness and other six then the person is not practicing Noble Eightfold Path, the person is practicing Noble Sevenfold Path. <laughs> because they don't even talk about jhana or concentration. <clears throat> so, it is very interesting, in the Noble Eightfold Path, uh, it is divided into three categories, three groups group of morality, group of concentration, and group of wisdom. <clears throat> but there is no particular group called vipassana group. In the Noble Eightfold Path, there is no vipassana group. There is a samatha group, samadhi group. Samadhi means concentration. And vipassana is under samadhi. If you look at the Noble Eightfold Path very closely, not samatha is under vipassana, but vipassana is under samatha, samadhi category. And therefore, <coughs> samadhi is the last, it is what is called the crown of meditation. Crown of meditation, concentration. So, uh, you have to practice uh, mindfulness to gain concentration and concentration to gain mindfulness. These are two sides of the same coin. One cannot exist without the other. They go hand in hand together. And the practice is called, there are uh, three uh, types of practice in Buddha's teaching, uh, three approaches. One is called Samatha Pubbhangama Vipassana, other is called Vipassana Pubbhangama Samatha, third is called Yuganadha. Samatha Pubbhangama Vipassana means uh, you practice concentration, jhanas, and then use that concentrated state of mind to practice vipassana. That means you first practice concentration, gain jhanas, and then use that experience, that concentration, to practice vipassana. I will explain it in detail later on when we come to the last... Uh, we talk on some of the practice. <coughs> Second is vipassana pubbhangama samatha. That means you practice vipassana, gain insight, mindfulness, and use the vipassana or mindfulness to practice concentration, jhana, to gain jhana. And the third is called yuganadha. Yuga means 
two pair dual. So you practice these two together. At a certain point, these two shake hand and combine together. <clears throat> they may develop separately, but they always have some interconnection uh, between each other. For example, <clears throat> In this sitting, one morning you feel restless, <coughs> uh, <coughs> you cannot concentrate. That morning, that time, you can practice mindfulness, vipassana. For vipassana practice, there is no one single object. Anything and everything that we experience can be used as a part of vipassana meditation. Anything you experience. Everything is grease for the mill, so to say. No matter what you experience, that is a part of your Mindfulness meditation. Of course, if you know how to use them, that can become mindfulness practice. For example, any time you pay attention to anything you experience, you see only one thing uh, unmistakable, unmistakably. One thing unmistakably. What is that? that experience you go through slips away, disappears, not static. It doesn't stay the same even for two consecutive moments, whether it is the feeling or perceptions or thoughts or wandering mind or ideas, hallucination, fantasies, daydreams, whatever. Whatever you experience, it is slipping away disappearing. It doesn't matter therefore what subject, what experience you go through. So that particular moment, that particular sitting, your mind is really very wild drunkard monkey. Not an ordinary monkey. <laughs> it is wild monkey. But if you see, if you pay attention to that particular state of mind, all you see is changing, 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 incessantly changing. And you gain very deep understanding of the nature of your mind. And you don't get upset, you don't get disappointed, you settle down, you understand, gee, everything I experience has the same characteristics. Once you see something always happening and there is no way to stop it, 
no matter how hard you try to stop, it will never stop. And therefore, what you should do, accept it. You go along with it. And realize this is the nature of this mind. When you come to that realization, this is, uh, you have heard the training of wild animal, training of wild animal, say a a little, uh, even elephant. (coughs) First, the elephant is so wild, you cannot... uh, reach, but somehow you, you know, make a noose and tie the elephant with the help of few people, tie to a very firm uh, stake that is driven 10 feet into the ground, very big stake, tie him there, and this fellow will try as, because of, of, of its habit, it keeps trying to break the the chain and eventually it realizes it cannot break the chain. So this fellow will settle down. Then you, you know, throw a little food and bring some water and so forth and so on. After a while, you tame this wild animal. And then you can put him to use. And this fellow will obey you, obey your order, and will do anything you want him to do within the limit of animal's possibility, I mean, animal's skill. Similarly, when you just watch the mind, watch the things that are happening to the mind, it eventually settles down, it gets tired and settles down, that time you begin to gain concentration. So this is how Samatha Pubhangama, Vipassana Pubhangama, Samatha practice uh, can be done. So first you practice Vipassana, Vipassana Pubhangama Samatha, practice Vipassana, watching, 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 incessantly watching, until mind gets tired and then settles down, then you gain concentration. In the morning you may have good, uh, sometimes good concentration, mind doesn't wander. Easily you can gain concentration. In the afternoon your mind begins to wander, lot of activities are going on, that time you practice vipassana. So that's how these two we practice, you know, juggling these things. Uh, whatever comes in, we, we should know the theory. We should know uh, that these two can uh, be practiced if we know how to practice them, how to use them. We don't dismiss one at the expense of the other. In order to make our practice complete, we must know how to 
practice both. Eventually, these two will join at the attainment of what is called stream entry. Stream entry is the first supramundane attainment. We will talk about it some other time in detail. So, uh, to think that the mind, uh, the jhana has nothing to do with vipassana is totally wrong. It has everything to do with vipassana practice. Uh, and also sometimes it depends on the uh, individual's temperaments. Uh, some individual gains concentration quickly, quicker than the other individuals. Some people gain insight quicker than the other individuals. And therefore, this depends on various uh, temperaments. And the other misunderstanding is jhana is too pleasant and should be avoided by all means. That is another misunderstanding. You know, when Siddhartha Gautama Bodhisattva uh, attained jhanas, um, Buddha said to, this another point, Buddha said to um, Subhadda, uh, one of his uh, last disciples, and uh, Buddha said there are uh, four pleasures. He called Chattaro Sukhalikan Yoga. Four engagement in pleasures, four kinds of pleasures. Uh, in uh, the first sermon, uh, he asked uh, us to avoid uh, extreme of pleasures, sukhalikanu yoga, kamesu kamesukhalikanu yoga, and attakilamatanu yoga, engage in uh, extreme sensual pleasures and engage in extreme uh, mortification. He asked us to, he asked us to avoid. But he advocated uh, four kinds of pleasures to cultivate. What are the four kinds of pleasures? Attaining four jhanas. Each jhana is a pleasure. So, uh, when he attains the jhana after leaving his uh, teachers when he attained jhanas, it occurred to him, this is pleasant. Why should I be afraid of this pleasure? You know, pleasure is something to be afraid of. Why? Pleasure always comes with pain. Pleasure doesn't come without pain. That is why I normally say, uh, you buy one and get one free. 
you work very hard to gain pleasure and pain sneaks into it. <laughs> you cannot leave aside, you cannot say to pain, no, you don't come. I need only this. You cannot do that. It is a part of the package. You got to buy the whole package. So, Bodhisattva, Bodhisattva, Gautam, Bodhisattva thought, this is a pleasure. I must be afraid of it. Because it entails pain. Then he said to himself, no, I shouldn't be afraid of this because this has nothing to do with the sensual pleasure. It is the sensual pleasure you should be afraid of by all means because we are going to lose it and we are going to have pain, we are going to have rivalry, we are going to have a jealousy, we are going to have fear, tension, anxiety, worry, and so forth and so on with regard to sensual pleasures. This is non-sensual pleasure. Jhanic pleasure we gain is non-sensual pleasure. We must learn to have the fear of sensual pleasure by cultivating non-sensual pleasure. <laughs> so, uh, people who do not understand this will throw the baby with bath water. Thinking that all pleasures are undesirable. The pleasure which is non-sensual is not undesirable. And he said to himself, there's no reason to be afraid of jhanic pleasure. And he encouraged, advocated, cultivating jhanic pleasure. And that is what he did. Even after attaining enlightenment, whenever he wanted to have physical, calm, relaxed physical state, calm, relaxed mental state, in, he was working very hard, you know, 22 hours he worked every day. He's a workaholic. <laughs> so to say, he slept only two hours. He was so enthusiastic in sharing his knowledge before he passed away, he worked incessantly 22 hours a day. But he got tired periodically. In order to free his uh, uh, tiredness, he attained jhanas and attained the highest level of jhana called Nirodha Samapatti, attaining the cessation of feeling and perception that is the highest level of attainment. And that is the most blissful attainment. So, he advised us, therefore, don't be afraid of that non-sensual non pleasure. That has nothing to do with anybody, that has no rivalry, 
Nobody will snatch it away from us. Nobody will compete with us. Nobody will be jealous of our attainment. We develop it within ourselves, in our own mind. Because we have the power, potential within ourselves, what we are trying to do is to tap into that potential, get into the pure, clear, luminous state of mind. The mind is luminous, as you know, the Buddha said in many places, mind is luminous. When we can't, luminosity does not mean purity, it means just shining. We learn to reach that shining state of mind, which is not sensual. I heard some uh, individuals, uh, whenever uh, their students talk about uh, jhana or concentration, they scare them, saying, no, 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 don't do that. That is very dangerous. You become like a vegetable. <laughs> you cannot come out of it. And you will be crazy. You will, be in, you will end up in mental hospital. And so forth and so on. They are simply scaring people, frightening people, not knowing what jhana is. And that is why I said that at the very beginning, we must learn the theory and then put the theory into practice and then when we reach the result, we know what we did, what, we, what steps we followed and how we gained the results. So, I recommend uh, uh, very strongly our meditators, without any fear, any hesitation, to cultivate uh, and get uh, involved in the practice of jhana. Uh, and also we must uh, avoid this misunderstanding. Uh, jhana is, misunderstanding is jhana is dangerous. Uh, only uh, monastic can practice it and uh, we must avoid all the jhanic pleasures and uh, that instantaneous absorption into uh, a state where we don't hear anything and so forth, this jhana and so forth. These are the misunderstandings to be avoided when we practice jhana. Jhana practice is a very conscious healthy uh, state of mind where we really know exactly what is happening in the mind. We gain deep concentration. When we gain that deep concentrated state, we are fully aware of what is happening in our mind. That is why we, we explain the steps. When we follow the steps, step number one as I mentioned yesterday, is ethical, moral, honest principles. 
when we follow the ethical, moral principles, we have no reason to be afraid of attaining concentration. No fear. We also follow the um, mindfulness and clear comprehension, which are the two aspects of mindfulness meditation, vipassana meditation, insight meditation. These two aspects uh, are uh, to be practiced even to gain concentration, mindfulness and clear comprehension. When we come to um, the distinction, to talk about the distinction between right concentration and wrong concentration, I will explain the difference between right concentration and wrong concentration. Uh, right jhana and wrong jhana. Uh, right mindfulness and wrong mindfulness. Uh, right speech and wrong speech. Right understanding and wrong understanding. And right livelihood and wrong livelihood. And so forth. All the Noble Eightfold Path is, each word of the Noble Eightfold Path is uh, qualified with right as opposed to wrong. So, concentration also has right concentration and wrong concentration. Right samadhi and wrong samadhi. And right mindfulness and so forth. Now, in the concentration category, samadhi category, three components, three steps are mentioned. If you look at the Noble Eightfold Path, you can see three steps. What are the three? Right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. Right effort is absolutely necessary necessary for gaining concentration. Right mindfulness is absolutely necessary for gaining concentration. And right mindfulness is necessary, absolutely necessary for gaining right jhana. And therefore these three come under the category of right concentration. And therefore, we are dealing with a very big subject, not a very small fraction, very big subject of Buddhist meditation. So with this uh, note, I like to stop this introduction to jhana meditation. And uh, tomorrow I will give another talk. And then you can uh, collect your questions. You know, whenever you have a question, when I give a talk, to uh, write them down uh, for me to answer on Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday. Uh, tomorrow, Sunday, don't ask me questions. <laughs> You have two days to collect your questions and write them down in a legible hand out of compassion for me <laughs> because I have to squeeze my eyes if you write small letters, uh, if you write uh, big block letters, I can read it easily. Uh, that's very compassionate practice. We practice in meditation compassion. <laughs> mindfulness, 
and loving friendliness and so forth, we put them into practice even when you write the question. With this, I like to stop and uh, see you later.